Welcome to the CC Podcast, where we deliver authentic, inspiring, and below-the-surface conversations with people striving to walk with God each day. Hello, everybody, and thanks for tuning in to the CC Podcast today. I am fortunate to have a couple guys in the studio today that you're going to want to hear from. And uh, the first one you have heard from before already, Tim Butker, who's the Director of Spiritual Care at the Western Home Communities. Tim has been contributing to our daily devotions, the daily dose during this uh, coronavirus pandemic. And you can obviously listen to those here at the CC podcast. Maybe you have already. Uh, Tim and Ike, his son, were also interviewed here a couple weeks ago about Ike's uh, journey to the NFL and how the Lord's hand kind of guided that. And so, Tim, welcome back to the studio. Thank you, Matt. Good to be back here. We need to get you a permanent chair, I guess. I mean, you're in here a lot. (laughs) Uh, And then I've also got Dr. Rich Frankhauser. And uh, Dr. Frankhauser is the medical director at Western Home Communities. For anybody outside the area listening to this, Western Home Communities is a retirement, uh, what do you guys call it? Um, it's a, a rather um, full extent of care from uh, retirement to uh, long-term care. Mm-hmm. And so I mean, they've got some... Everything. They've got some villas where you can live independently. Mm-hmm. Yes. Really nice, by the way. The, the age uh, qualification, I think, is 55, 55 and older. 55 and older, yeah. I got 11 years to go, baby. That's right. And then I'm moving in. <laughs> it's, getting, it's getting younger every year, though. Pretty people comfortable. People that are moving in and, the, you know, people that don't want to spend a lot of time working on their home or place and, and travel a little more or aren't fix-it people. They like to just move in and have it taken care of. And my understanding is that... Uh, this is one of the leading retirement centers in the country. I mean, I, I hear about Chris and others talking to people all over the country as a model mm-hmm. for how you take people from a, a villa all the way through, I don't know what all the stages are, but mm-hmm. all the way through, you know, specialized care and mm-hmm. a, a great facility. Um, Dr. Frank Hauser, you're the medical director there. Yes. And we've got this thing going on right now called COVID-19 that has, I would imagine, medical directors at retirement centers and nursing homes, pretty concerned. Uh, Very concerned. So we're going to talk about that as it relates to your role at the Western Home. We're also going to talk about just from a doctor's perspective, you know, how should we navigate and think about this thing uh, medically from a health perspective and from a Christian perspective. And uh, but before we get into all that, we'll just kind of get to know you a little bit. I wanted to be a doctor at one point. Ah. Fifth grade, you, you were telling me before we got on, Neil Williams was in your medical associates group. Yes, he was. And Neil Williams is one of my heroes. Um, Neil would go on these mission trips. He's a general surgeon. And he would come back and he would share stories about these mission trips. Yes. And uh, they just captured my uh, amazement. And I wanted to be like Neil Williams. And long story short, I thought that meant that I needed to go to medical school and be a surgeon. Um, that lasted until I got to organic chemistry. And then I decided <laughs> I could be like Neil Williams without being a doctor. That's true. And so that's why I'm here. <laughs> so how did you get interested in medicine to start with? Um, there was a doctor in Dysart when I was a kid, Doc Roberts, and he was just such a neat person. If I had any issues, just go in and kind of got to know him. And then I had a cousin that was a physician in Illinois um, who I had a lot of respect for as well. And uh, 
My dad was a pastor, and I pretty well knew that I didn't want to stand in front of people and talk. So, <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I just got really interested. I could tell some stories about my earlier interests, but I think they're probably not uh, with animals. But <laughs> um, but I was just very interested in that side of things. And uh, it was in junior high, I think, that I really started to develop a, a significant interest and decided that that was a direction I'd like to go. The, um, I think it was the summer of eighth grade at the Bible conference where, you know, the, the Friday night at camp, you usually have a bonfire and you do a variety of things. Well, in ours, you wrote what you'd like to do with your life. And so you put that on a stick and threw it in the fire. And um, at that time, I uh, kind of declared that I wanted to go into medicine, and hmm. give my life to that career. How old do you think you were at that time? I think it was eighth grade. Eighth grade, that's yeah. what you said. Yeah. Interesting. So you were interested in sort of the biology of life. Yes. And you didn't want to speak in front of people. No. <laughs> and it came together around that campfire there. Yeah, it really did. That's interesting because I didn't want to speak in front of people either. But I, I felt like the Lord really didn't give me a lot of choice early on. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's, that's how my dad approached it to, to the ministry. He, he uh, tried to farm for a couple of years, mm. and that was in the Dust Bowl years. And wow. mm. he finally said, I give up, Lord. I'll mm. go into the ministry mm. like you want me to. <laughs> so eighth grade, you kind of declare that you want to go into medicine. Um, then then you finish high school in Dysart? In Dysart. And, and then you went to college and medical school where at? Uh, there was a little college. That church was the EUB church, and the EUB college in Iowa was... Oh, by the way, Western Home was part of that system, the EUB, EUB system back mm -hmm. in the beginning. Wow. Um, the college was Westmar College in Lamar's. And uh, there were some really excellent professors at that time that um, I had a lot of respect for in biology and chemistry. And well, I mean, in general, there were certainly other good professors, but those were the ones that I spent most of my time with. And, uh, you know, so... I think just going through the uh, courses and getting to know those docs. And they both spent time, uh, the two biology professors spent time uh, teaching at summer school at the University of Iowa. And so I think that maybe helped a little bit. It's a little difficult to get in, but um, I think with their help, it hmm. worked out well. Awesome. And so uh, once you graduate from Iowa, were you, I've known you as a, Family practice, Doc? Correct. Were you that the whole time? Yes. Okay. Here yeah. in town? Uh, yes. Yeah. I was in town in practice full-time for 40 years um, and then retired. It'll be six years this May. But uh, after medical school, I decided, you know, medical school is you're under the close observation from residents and staff people, and I decided I needed to have a little bit more responsibility myself, so I decided to look at um, county hospitals in large cities as a place to learn medicine and do medicine. Hmm. So I was in downtown Indianapolis. Uh, it was called Marion County General Hospital at that time. 
And um, so I spent a year there and then decided to go into the public health service. It was the end of the Vietnam War era and spent two years in a small town in North Dakota called Langdon. It was 10 miles from the Canadian border and about uh, 30 miles from the uh, Minnesota border. So it was northeastern uh, North Dakota. And that was excellent because there were just two other family practice docs in town. And uh, so they left on weekends. And so you got, and there was a small hospital in town that uh, allowed me to really learn a lot of medicine fast. Hmm. Awesome. Hmm. Um, while you're developing into medicine and, and as a doctor, you're also developing and growing spiritually. You, you mentioned the EUB camp, which is now where the Cedar Falls Bible Conference is at. That's right. That's where you made this kind of declaration before the Lord in eighth grade that you were going to yes. go into medicine. Um, you were also saying that you gave your life to Christ at that camp. Was it the same year or a different time? Or it, I believe it was the same year. I think cool. it was exactly the same year that I... And uh, my wife, Connie, accepted Christ at the same camp. She was from Lamar's, so... It was. Do you remember anything significant about that time when you gave your life to the Lord and opened your heart to Him? Um, I, you know, I think it was growing up in the church, growing up in a pastor's home. I felt like I always felt like I knew the Lord. I think it mm -hmm. was that decision to really make it part of my life, or. Mm -hmm. um, take that step that uh, we all, I think, need to take. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I think it was a commitment uh, that I felt was a necessary commitment at that time. Mm -hmm. I wonder, you know, when I listen to your going through the journey and all that, do you look back and see how the Lord directed your path I really, really do. Mm -hmm. um, I love that song, Jesus Led Me All the Way. Mm. You know, because after, um, I, when I was in the public health service in North Dakota, and I, uh, you know, we were involved in a small group, and, and I think we really grew. And um, my wife was a good witness to the two other docs. She wasn't afraid to. <laughs> anyway, mm -hmm. um, but, um, you know, and then having a, a cousin who was in the uh, uh, sales business as far as pharmaceuticals were concerned, uh, knowing that there was a Christian group in Cedar Falls um, and pointing me in that direction for a place to look for practice. And, you know, we came to Cedar Falls to look at the group. Um, to visit the group, not look at it specifically, but to to meet the docs. And I'll tell you, we we left that um, just no question. Do you remember any specific things that played into there being no question? I mean, was there a conversation or was there uh, just a sense? I think it was a sense, you know, um, we had, well, I'd known a lot of docs over the years from the University of Iowa and practiced with some uh, different docs and a lot of docs in Indianapolis, but I had never met a group that uh, were as kind and um, caring and uh, welcoming 
maybe, mm-hmm. and humble. Mm-hmm. It's not common to see that in medicine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I'm flashing back right now. We came to the Medical Associates when my wife and I came to town, and we were having our first child. And we were, after he was born, we were so tired and so wiped out, and we went for that first appointment. And, you know, the power of a doctor, the person, you know, you're in a vulnerable state a lot of times when you see a doctor, and you get to be a minister at that time. And I remember he was a Christian doctor, and he said to us after we had the whole meeting, at the end of the meeting, he said, well, I just just want to let you know I believe the Lord pours out extra grace in our time of need. And then he said a prayer for us. And that was so powerful for us at that stage, just feeling so vulnerable with our first baby and so wiped out. And and to have the doctor say that to us, I mean, that that was a neat thing going there, medical associates. I want to name some of those doctors. We already talked about Neil Williams. Bob Bremner, Bob of course, Bremner. was there. You said Phil Rohrbaugh. Phil Rohrbaugh. Who were some of the others? John Kaiser was there. Yep. John Jaquist. Um, um, Dr. Aaron Holtz was there at the time. Um, I think um, things changed a little bit over time. I think Dr. Crandall came several years later. Mm-hmm. What a great group of guys mm-hmm. that were just served this community well. I, my own family story, my my grandmother, uh, her husband, my dad's dad died uh, when he was, my dad was 15, my grandpa was 53, my dad's the oldest of six uh, in Radcliffe, Iowa. Oh. They owned a grocery store and, and had to get out of there, so they moved to Cedar Falls. And I think Dr. Bremner ended up being my grandma's doctor for a while and just again, at a vulnerable time in their lives where I want to, I want to talk about it from the other angle of a lot of patients, and this applies to right now what we're experiencing today, um, expect their doctor to be able to fix everything. Um, It's almost like, now you said some doctors, humility is rare. So some doctors might have a little bit of a Messiah complex. um, But I think some of that is projected onto doctors by people who expect, I, I have this ailment, and I don't know what to do, but you're going to fix it. So how over the years have you dealt with that kind of being projected onto you, the expectation that you got to fix this for my son or my daughter or my husband or my wife, whatever? I think, you know, over the years, when you first start out in medicine, you feel like you really have that responsibility. Hmm. And then as you, especially in family practice, I'm sure the primary cares. Um, my take is that you get to know people so well and you have this relationship and you can say to them, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what, um, that we can fix it or, or how to do it. And you try and help out. And I think I, I, I really feel like that takes away some of that kind of, it's more of a almost friendship discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, And I think sooner or later in the practice of medicine, you're going to realize that you don't really have control of these things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and you, you look at it and you realize that I can't take responsibility for all of that. Um, 
you know, your faith leads into that. And uh, it's a, you know, you do the best you can do, but mm-hmm. I think that um, having faith and having that realization that God really is control, in control of a lot of things that uh, we'd like to take over and hmm. fix. But yeah. I don't know if that answers your yeah, question. Yeah, you bet. I wonder, so, you know, you, you're here at Medical Associates, and then you retired. Yes. And then the Western Home Communities came to you, as far as I remember. Yes. And asked you to consider coming on board, and, and how did that happen? And when I look back now, it's, it's just been something else I feel like the Lord did in your life. Yeah. And then now, you know, for such time as this, you're in this position. But describe that getting into the Western Home Communities. Well, um, I had been the medical. In fact, Bob Bremner took me to med. <laughs> First year I was in practice in Cedar Falls, he took me to Western Home, and and uh, I think back then it was just standard assisted. You know what's now standard assisted living, and he, he said, "Meet me there at uh, eight o'clock tomorrow morning, and we'll just go through and uh, see residents together." And and at that point, he said, "Well, this is going to be your nursing home now." And <laughs> so I was the kind of the primary doc from our group for mm-hmm. Western Home, and then I was uh, medical director at Western Home over the years, so I had a long, long history with Western Home. Mm-hmm. And um, then when I retired, that ended, and um, I think they were just, you know, seeking out to have another medical director at the time. and. I, um, uh, Jerry Harris uh, gave me a call one time, and I think he called me rather than visited. But anyway, he uh, he said, how would you like to be medical director at Western Home? And I think after four months of retirement, I realized that I really don't like retirement so well <laughs> i need to be doing something mm. more or something different and so you know that's interesting you say that is because you know obviously we work with a lot of retired people at the western home yes but when you study the scripture you see that like retirement isn't necessarily in there we were made to contribute and do things and and when i hear you say that I, it, it's been so educational for me to listen to people who have kind of done the modern idea of retirement feel that need to get back contributing and we're just made that way by god i really really felt that way those four months off well one of part of the time was great we took the family to disney and you know after that it was it was just such a different time Mm -hmm. i needed to i just felt like there was still more to contribute Mm -hmm. so um and western home was a good fit because I felt really comfortable there and I knew a lot of the people and mm-hmm. so it really worked out very well. I think I wasn't expecting anything like has happened at the present time. That's right. <laughs> I was going to say, I wonder, if, I wonder if you, how you feel about it now. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. So you came on board then after you retired and yeah. you've been the medical director and now we've entered this time, yes. which has been a very intense time. It has. And a lot of information to process at once. 
maybe sort of two aspects to it. One, how have you personally walked through this last month? What has it been like for you personally? And then maybe we'll go to the medical side. Okay. I think um, in the last month, there's a, a lot of heaviness. Um, mm. I mean, I can pray about it and do pray about it. Um, we pray um, just actually for the whole world with what everybody's mm. going through. But the heaviness for me is... Um, and, and I'm sure for everybody involved in care at the Western Home is trying to keep that organism out of the home. Mm-hmm. And so looking at everything that we can possibly do um, to try and accomplish that is, is critical. So um, I think just like you said, there's all kinds of information from the CDC, from CMS, from uh, different organizations about what you can do to try and reduce the risk. And I think that um, actually we have a, a really, really good team of thinkers, I think, you know, that mm-hmm. um, have a lot of good ideas about how to do that. But it still doesn't. We've been a little blessed in, or very blessed in Blackhawk County that so far we don't have um, mm-hmm. person-to-person transmission. It's all been from travel. But I know that's coming. Mm-hmm. And uh, so... Um, we're just doing everything that we can do to try and mm-hmm. avert that. And it's difficult because we're asking people not to visit. That's really difficult if you're used to going in every day or, or a couple of times a week to see your loved one. And then to be asked not to visit is a, a, a big sacrifice. Mm-hmm. But um, the whole goal of almost every, well, not almost, every decision, the goal is to keep people safe, both caregivers and and residents. Let me jump in and ask a question, Tim, to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you've been on the phone as the, as the director of spiritual care. Mm-hmm. My understanding is that you and your chaplains have kind of divided up and you're kind of calling on folks. And, you know, like you just mentioned, Dr. Frankhauser, um, a lot of these people are used to having their kids, their grandkids mm-hmm. come visit. I know my mom and dad still live at home and I, we've been telling them, stay home. Like, don't yeah. mess with this thing. And so uh, we went over there the other night for about five minutes and just stood on the porch together, you know, <laughs> and usually they're, they're used to the grandkids crawling all over them. And, uh, <clears throat> and, and so it's different. And you've got people even that are in their homes, they're doing these drive-by. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of these teddy bear hunts? Yes. I mean, the stuff that's just been kind of invented out of this is incredible. But um, Tim, or I don't know how close you are to the actual individual's at the Western Home to get a feel for this, Dr. Frankhauser. But Tim, I know you and your chaplains are. What kind of things are you hearing from residents mm-hmm. that kind of um, reveals the difficulty or the disruption that this is creating them? Yeah. Well, interesting. Right, right when I walked in here, I was on the phone with a, a daughter of a resident who, you know, they're used to going to see their mom and talk with her once or twice a week. And she's just questioning like, she doesn't know how to use a computer. What kind of things could, is this worship service going to be put on TV at all? You know, they're just dealing with those kind of things. And, and they're just feeling bad for their mother because they can't get in to help her like they normally can. Mm-hmm. So there's that side of it. 
then when you call on some residents, you know, the fear, if they're just sitting there watching the news all day, um, what that does to them, a lot of, you know, phone calls you'll end up and they feel very vulnerable, some of them. And as you start talking it through with them and then offer to say a prayer, it can mean a lot. But you think of being isolated, alone, and in that vulnerable age, it's definitely a fragile feeling. And then you have other things going on, like you're restricted to your room. Um, and then let's just say someone new is moving into the community because the timing has fallen just that way. And I was just talking with a lady yesterday. She's in the hallway greeting him. And a few of the other residents are saying, hey, you shouldn't be in the hallway. Mm. You know, and then she feels bad for being in the hallway. And, and someone mm -hmm. would feel terrible if they brought the virus in or something like that. So all these dynamics are there wow. that, you know, they're just going through their minds as, like we're all adjusting. They're adjusting those that live in the communities you know, and that's a lot of feelings, a lot of thoughts to process if you're totally on your own. And your mind can play some tricks on you if you're isolated like that and you don't have some community to talk with. And so I want to keep talking about this. I'm going to break in right now and just promote uh, a website that we have a partnership with. It's called issuesiface.com. And it really gets to what we're talking about here. Now, some of these folks might, like you said, this gal doesn't have a computer, but uh, issuesiface.com is a place where you can read uh, from a Christian perspective how different people have dealt with a wide range of different issues from anxiety to depression to debt to cancer to uh, dozens and dozens of issues. But the thing that's unique about this website is it also allows the readers to connect anonymously with an online mentor. And those mentors are volunteers who are trained believers who will uh, listen, if you want to call it listen, through the computer, through, through email exchanges, and who will walk with and encourage mentors who are struggling with a particularly heavy burden. They'll pray with you. They'll point you to Christ. They'll point you to Scripture. And uh, I've been in touch with the folks. I actually work with them a little bit. And we've seen a spike in mentor requests through this website because people are isolated in their homes. They don't have anywhere else to go. And so they're going online uh, to issuesiface.com. And that, that might be a great spot for you to get some encouragement, some prayer, if this is particularly a heavy, heavy season for you. Or if you're dealing with something completely unrelated to the coronavirus, uh, go check out issuesiface.com. Mm -hmm. So anyway, things are in flux in terms of the way the Western home is is operating. And this is not just the Western home. It's everywhere. Right. Um, do you have any insights like Tim's or are you a little few degrees removed from like the front lines? I, think, um, I have, I think probably rather than, well, I have some residents in the nursing home that I took care of for years. So I pop in and say hi to them every once in a while. Um, but uh, I think I have a little more contact maybe um, I'm not saying you don't. I just, my contact is more with the caregivers, mm -hmm. you know, in the different facilities. And um, I try and check in and see how they're doing and how they're approaching things. And As a medical director, are you running them through, like, the logistics of disinfect this, do these procedures, blah, blah, blah? It's, you know, that's true. It's that type of thing where you look at what can we do to uh, either improve what we're doing or... Um, ideas about adding uh, things, you know, that we could be doing uh, to try and prevent the, the virus from 
you know, entering. So I'm just going to ad lib ask you this. Like my wife and I are having a discussion about how seriously do we have to take this and how much mitigation do we need to in, in, invest in here? Um, so if I'm just at home or somebody's listening to this and they're wondering like how big of a threat is this? I remember hearing early on that this virus can stay on a surface alive for 17 days. I mean, how much of that's legit? And what would okay. you tell people in their homes? Like what's a reasonable level of caution, but not ridiculously extreme? Or do we need to be extreme? I, part of me thinks you need to be extreme. Um, so the virus, the, uh, the information, I've looked at several different studies, and it's kind of hard to be 100% sure about the total time that the virus can survive. But if you just take the, um, it can survive uh, about a day on cardboard. Uh, it can survive three days on plastic. And it can survive... Um, about two days on stainless steel, but the other side of that is, is that if you can still find virus on those areas, usually up to seven days after that time. I know that some things have said, and I've seen like some of the cruise ship, you know, they've found virus that has been there for uh, quite a few days. I, I think you're right. I, I've seen in, this, in the teens and I saw one, something about 30 some days and so, but anyway, I think that you just have to remember the amount of virus that's there decreases significantly over time. But those first few days, it's pretty significant. So um, as far as how we get the virus, so you, you're well aware that there are fomites in the air. So if somebody coughs in your area, it can easily last in the air for three hours can last longer than that, depending on the situation, but three hours. So if you walk through an area where somebody has had the illness and they've coughed, that's very significant. Um, if, um, you know, hand washing becomes uh, extremely important, uh, there was a study that was done looking at how often do we touch our faces? Well, it's at least 25 times an hour. Well, if you're going to get it, it's going to be a handle, a doorknob, a, you know, and so you have the virus on your hand and then you plant it in your eye or your nose or your mouth. And um, so that's the other significant part of this. There's one other area that I'm going to mention that I think is important, although I don't think people think about it or talk about it, and that is in a bathroom. We know that the virus is in the stool in a fairly high percentage. And so it can be around the bathroom. So, you know, um, even though we don't think of it as a foodborne illness, like touching and, and putting your hand in your, you know, touching your face with that, but anything around a bathroom area, keep your hands off your face until they're well washed. And when you get out of that room, um, I'm not talking about the bathrooms in our homes, but I'm talking about if you use a bathroom in a public area mm -hmm. that... You really just need to be really, really careful. Um, I'll tell you what I do at home. I, I figure if it lasts 24 hours on cardboard, it probably lasts that long on mail, maybe newspaper. I bring the newspaper and the mail in, I throw it in the garage, and I get it the next day. If I have cardboard that I bring into the house, I let it sit in the garage for a day before I bring it or open it. Um, that may be taking it a little far, but I really am very concerned because our 
our whole goal is not to overwhelm the the care system. I know you've heard this mm-hmm. on enough on television, but I think it's I, I think that uh, distancing and what you're doing with your grandparents or your parents with the grandkids, um, it, you just want to not introduce the virus, and so I think it is a a really big deal, and I think that. Um, we just need to be careful. And I, I, you know, the virus is so new. I'm not sure we know all of these answers we're talking about like we know the answers. Um, but I think the only thing that we have to, um, to help is to just be cautious. That's good stuff. Tim, I don't know if you noticed how well he spoke about, you know, the unmentionable things in the bathroom. I mean, mm-hmm. the cl- doctors do such a good job of kind of clinically <laughs> going through yeah. that. Yeah. Um, another, I had another question that escaped um, that I was going to ask you specifically. Oh, this isn't a political thing at all, but it's been interesting to watch. Have you been watching the daily press briefings? Yes. So it's been interesting to watch the president who's trying to paint an optimistic picture and kind of keep Americans positive and keep the economy rolling uh, and contrast him with like maybe Dr. Fauci or Dr. Burks, who are more kind of the clinical scientist, doctor people who are trying to be realistic about this. Yeah. What's been your take on, I mean, I'm sure a bunch of our listeners have been watching all that. What's, what's been your take as a doctor watching that interplay? Um, and I, I, I get where it's good to keep the population feeling somewhat positive rather mm-hmm. than just allowing everybody to be in the doldrums. I think that um, I like hearing the medical side of things. I like them talking about uh, how uh, that's a more realistic type of approach. Mm. You know, like hearing President Trump say that, um, that he has a good feeling about hydroxychloroquine. And, you know, you grow up in medicine, you have to have a double-blinded study to know if anything works. You mm-hmm. have to have really good, large studies. And so um, the study out of France looked really good. And so I understand where that comes from, and I hope that that's all true. But I understand why they're doing a much larger study, mm-hmm. trying to get proof that that really does make a significant difference. Mm-hmm. Can I throw in one other thing about the virus that people may not understand? When you read the information about the nursing home in Kirkland, um, Washington, the studies that they did on the viral concentration in the nasal passage or nasal pharyngeal cultures that they did, the of all of the people they tested, only half of them had symptoms. Hmm. So the other half had the same amount of virus but didn't have any symptoms. And so when you think about, um, that's another reason that I think we just have to be careful about being, being close to people is because that group of asymptomatic people could spread the virus just as easily as those that were coughing and sneezing. They have no idea they have it. They have no mm-hmm. idea they have it. And of that group that were, they, they divided them in pre-symptomatic and asymptomatic, the pre-symptomatic group, um, those folks develop symptoms, but in most of them, three to five days. There were three that never developed symptoms, but they had the same level of virus that the other ones had. So, you know, we, we get a sense of 
security and, well, so-and-so doesn't have a cough, they don't have a cold, but the only way that you can really help out with that is that social distancing mm. and the hand washing and whatever you can do because you don't really know if that individual right. has a problem or not. Another question that raises in my mind is about these percentages, infection rates, death rates. If there are all these asymptomatic people walking around, yes. they probably didn't go to get tested. Right. And if they didn't go to get tested, they're not showing up in that denominator number of infections. And so the death rate might, in, if in that case, be artificially high. What's Correct. your thought about that? And how does that relate to just the general flu that we have every season? Like, uh, maybe those are two different questions. But one of the things I'm hearing from people is, and one of the questions I've had, is uh, if you had a daily press briefing every single day during every flu season and you put in the paper and on the radio and on, on social media how many people have died today from the flu and how many people are sick, I think people would be stirred up into kind of a frenzy, kind of like we're seeing now. I'm not suggesting that coronavirus is not more serious than the flu, because I think it obviously is. But how do you balance all that stuff? And what do you do with the numbers that we're hearing? I think um, I think there's no question that you're totally right. We don't know the denominator. I think there are a lot more people out there. If you figure 80% of the people uh, have just a mild infection, you know, that group of people might just think they have a cold and never be included in the numbers for because they just never were tested. Uh, so I think the denominator, I th think you're correct, it's much, much larger than, uh, than it's published. And so the death rate would be lower than we perceive it to be. But if it's 10 or 20 times what influenza is, that's still really significant. You know, if you look back at the death rate, for example, in the United States this year, I, I, I think about that once in a while when you think, if we publish, maybe this is what we need to do with influenza to get people to buy in how significant it is. So this year, 20,000 people died in the United States with influenza um, in, I think it was... I may be wrong in the year, but let's just say it was uh, 2018, 60,000 people died in the United States with influenza, and we treat it like it's just a cold. Um, anyway, so I, this is uh, a request for people to get their flu shots, um, you know, and do everything they can do. And I think that in the nursing home setting, we know that just like with this, influenza, they're the most vulnerable to influenza as far as severity of illness. So... Um, that we're trying to pr protect our residents the best we can from influenza. And I think, ha I think overall um, have, have uh, been very successful in that. But the other side of it, now we're dealing with something quite totally different. But I, you know, and I know you always read about, well, don't compare it to influenza because it's totally different. And I get that, but I think we have learned things from influenza that help us with this. And I think uh, some of our efforts will be uh, helped by that. But I really want people to always take influenza um, seriously. seriously yeah. um, another question about that, just from my own personal experience, I, two, three, four years ago, I, I had influenza. I never went to the doctor for it, but I mean, I was in bed for 23 hours a day for six days, sickest I've ever been. And, um, one of the questions I've had is somebody who's been through influenza. I know there's different strains and all that mm -hmm. stuff, but is there any way that they have antibodies that would resist this 
coronavirus more, or is it completely different? Completely different. We have antibodies to influenza to some degree. And the coronavirus, you know, there are four coronaviruses in the United States that just cause a common cold, and you'd hope that, but it doesn't seem to have any effect on immunity to this particular virus. Um, cool. So That's good doctor stuff. Yeah, when, I, when I'm listening to you share, you know, and, and I think of this true in the Western home, you want, you know, you asked the question about being extreme. If I'm sitting there in our rehabilitation suites and I've come out of a surgery or I'm getting some help from the caregiver, I want them to be extreme. Yes. I mean, I yeah. walk these hallways and, you know, room after room of individual and you want the highest quality of attention given to watching over this. And sometimes it's hard to understand that unless you're in that environment of how intense you really want it to be. And yes. I just want to thank you for towing the line like you have. I know it's not easy. Yeah. And, 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 you know, so many health care workers, you know, that we're familiar with, they understand the weight of what we're experiencing as well. Yeah. And I just have felt that I think that's the weight of it is just what in the world can you do to keep something like this out? Yeah. And unless, you know, I guess my plea to everybody is do your job. Don't get infected so you don't mm -hmm. bring it into this place. Um, you know, and I, anyway. Yeah. What, what kind of fears or questions are you hearing from healthcare people, the, the people who you work more directly with? Um, I think it's just the unknowns of what the future looks like. You know, I think you, you see the, uh, the, the situation for healthcare providers in, let's take Italy, you know, you see pictures of that on the news, or New York, and what that situation can be like. And I look at that, and I think my worst day working in the emergency room with as crowded as it could be is nothing compared to what they're going through mm -hmm. every day. And so I, um, you know, it's just uh, difficult to keep, you know, healthy mm -hmm. and not having enough protective equipment to keep everybody healthy. I mean, there's there are just lots of aspects to this that are, are difficult. I called a friend of mine who is the director of ICU at one of the hospitals down in Des Moines yesterday to just check on him, see how he's doing, pray with him. And um, when I when I asked him, and this is a tough guy, younger guy, kind of, you know, um, macho, you know, he's a man's man, you know. Uh -huh. But but I said, you know, Jason, what what's something specific I can pray for for you? And without me even finishing that question, he said courage. Mm -hmm. He said wow. my he said my mind is all over the place on this thing. He said some days I feel great, some days I'm scared like crazy. Yeah. Just because you don't want to bring this home to your family. Um, he's seeing in the ICU, you know, people in his demographic, younger than me, that are having a very hard time with this. And uh, I think, Tim, I, you've been taking some notes there. Maybe you want to go a different direction. But one of my questions is, or one of the things I want to talk about, is what does this do in terms of opening the door for the gospel? Mm. I think it's a tremendous opportunity. Um, we've been listening to Tony Evans' uh, worship services on Sunday mornings as a family. And he's just talking about how the Lord allows distress to come into people's lives fundamentally out of his grace and for a spiritual reason, which is to help us 
kind of unshackle ourselves from the distractions yeah. and the false idols in some cases and turn our hope and our trust and our focus back on the Lord. Mm-hmm. What would either of you say about that? When you're asking about the healthcare workers, you know, you're not on the front lines there, you know, and I'm not on the front lines with the healthcare workers and doing that care. But just think of just the, the bit of vulnerability we've felt and then take that times whatever if you're directly in that situation. I think everybody feels a sense of vulnerability right now. Yeah. Um, and that vulnerability, I, I'll never forget walking with my father-in-law when I was early married. We were out on the farm, and you, you think of a couple guys on the farm, you're talking about some tough things and whatever, guys. And I don't know what the conversation led to, but he said, you know, and it just stuck in my heart. He said, you know, a lot of people don't think this, but I believe life is fragile. Hmm. And that hit me as a young man. You know, you're coming as a lot of young people. They don't think it's so fragile. We watch some spring breakers on TV. This virus isn't a big deal and all that stuff. They don't understand how fragile life is. It really is fragile. Mm-hmm. And something like this does remind us of how fragile it is. And then that, that leads to questions. Where, you know, how long do I live? Where am I going when I die? Mm-hmm. What is life about anyway? What is God like, really, if he's allowing this? Mm-hmm. Um, it opens up a whole range, I think, of opportunity for people to really think about and reflect on their lives. And in that way, I think it's good because, you know, when America's going along strong and everything else, and you can fall with the love of the world, and that doesn't prepare you for what comes after. And It's not lost on me, and I hope it's not on others. This is so incredible in terms of America. The strongest nation in the history of the world— mm-hmm. From a worldly perspective, you can make an argument for Israel, I mean, back in the day. But from a worldly perspective, America is the strongest nation in the history of the world at its wealthiest time ever. Mm. A month ago, Mm -hmm. six weeks ago, whatever it was, and boom. Yeah, how quickly we can be brought to our knees in a sense. Yeah. You know? And when I listen listen to you, Doc, and... And I think about your position, what I've felt in my position, and I it was texting with um, Chris Hansen, our CEO, oh. the other night. And as we were texting, one thing he texted me is, I'm working on my divinity degree. Hmm. I mean, when you have responsibilities in this environment, I don't know how you couldn't want to cry out to the Lord hmm. yeah. and ask him for guidance and wisdom and direction. I mean... I, I mean, I don't know if you've felt it more, but oh. I've certainly felt it more just wanting to be, you no know, question. on my knees. Yeah. It's just, yeah, you, there, the interesting part about this time is just like you said, everything's, everything's kind of taken away. Everything that, you know, has been a security is kind of, mm-hmm. what's this look like, you know? And so um, with your health, Mm-hmm. You know, your livelihood, your, I mean, so much of life has changed just mm-hmm. momentarily. 
Tim, I'm going to throw it to you after I make this announcement. Just th- this is our only other promotion uh, during this interview. Want to highlight the Cedar Falls Bible Conference, which is still being planned for July 25th through August 1st. The Cedar Falls Bible Conference is like this radio ministry. It's one of the longest lasting Bible conferences in America. Uh, we'll be celebrating our 99th conference this year. Tim's going to kick us off on Sunday morning, uh, July 26th. Mark Schultz is going to do a concert July 25th. We'll have Christy Knuckles there leading worship at the end of the week. Uh, Jay Warner Wallace, a, a great apologist uh, from L.A. County, a former homicide detective, is going to come be with us. And we've got several other great speakers. We've got great uh, ministry for kids and students. And it's all free. Uh, we're so thankful for the donors that support the Cedar Falls Bible Conference. And so put that on your calendar. Gosh, by the time July 25th rolls around, I think everyone's going to want to get yeah. out of the house and go hang out. Um, I might ask you a question about that in a second, Doc. But um, put that on your calendar, July 25th through August 1st. You can go to cedarfallsbibleconference.com for more information or find Cedar Falls Bible Conference on Facebook. Tim, before I throw it to you, that promo just reminded me, like, Everyone's going to be a little cautious still, right? Even after the peak of this thing passes through and it feels like we're somewhat out of the woods. Um, What are your thoughts about that at this point? Like like the Bible conference. How's that play out? Yeah, that's going to be a difficult thing to answer. What I hope is that it tapers down like influenza. You know, some viruses just don't do as well in the heat. And when you, some of the studies I've looked at related to how long it survives on surfaces indicate that the higher the humidity and the higher the uh, temperature, um, the less the duration of the virus on surfaces. And so what I hope is, is when things improve in the summertime, that the viral incidence goes down significantly. And um, I don't know that it will get to zero, but I think all of us will be used to uh, taking good care of ourselves and washing our hands better than we ever did in the past. And <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that's my hope. I, You're planning on being at the Bible conference? Yes. Good. I'm, I'm a little concerned about next fall. I don't know what next fall mm-hmm. is going to bring. I just hope and pray that the vaccine that they're working on, I know that's too soon, but it'd be wonderful if it was there before next winter. Mm-hmm. What will we do without college football? I'm going to have a problem. <laughs> yeah. Talk about idols. <laughs> Tim, what do you got? You know, uh, just a, just a couple things. One, you know, Doc, as you described that heaviness feeling, I think it comes on to all of us at different times when we're going through that. And I'm thinking about the phone calls that have been made when you touch base with somebody who's in that. In, in King Solomon's words, those who refresh others will oh. themselves be refreshed. Yes. And if you reach out at this time through the technology we have and all that, you do get refreshed. And I would just give that encouragement right here. We need to keep reaching out to one another, you know, like you did with your friend in Des Moines. And if you're listening now and, 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 you know, a a, a name runs through your mind, maybe the Lord's putting that name on your mind. Reach out and make the call. You know, touch base, because those who refresh others, you do yourselves get refreshed. Let me jump in on that quick. I've heard somebody say they don't like the term social distancing. Mm. They'd rather have it be physical distancing because mm-hmm. we still want to maintain some social connections, yes. yeah. just not physically. Yes. That's yeah. a good nuance, I thought. Yeah. And it's important to do it, to stay connected with each other because, you know, I know the longest longitudinal study ever was done on the health of individuals over some 75 years. And the thing they said, and this does help the immune system, good relational connections. 
help the immune system. And, and so let's keep those up. And we're made for that by God. And then secondly, you know, with that heaviness, you can lose your hope. You can lose your, your courage. You can lose your faith. And we want to keep encouraging the faith in each other. You know, we just had our first grandson born. And to be born into this time with the excitement of that and excited for his life, you have to do that by faith. That by faith, God is going to carry us along. Yeah. And he's going to be good. And there's future grace available for us all. And there's no guarantees from the Lord, but whether we live or die, if our faith is in him, we are the Lord's. And we can go forward with faith, knowing those things. And we want to keep living with that courage and that faith as long as God gives us opportunity. And so, and I appreciate the doc, you know, being extreme through this time. That's something that, you know, it's good to sit here and just talk about it. Absolutely. I want to, something we talked about beforehand that I want to kind of go into, um, another image that doctors have, uh, you know, kind of projected on them is that they're kind of impervious to this stuff. You know, like you look at Fauci on TV or these guys and it's like they have all the data and all the science and it all makes sense in their mind. And and they've probably never had a hard day in their life. And I mean, they fix everyone else's problems, but they never have their own problems. Um, (laughs) You you talked about your kids and you talked about losing a son uh, 20, 22 years ago, something like that. Years. Yes. Um, and I'm just interested in in uh, you can tell as much of that story as you feel comfortable with. But what I'm interested in is how did, for lack of a better term, being on the other side, you know, I'm sure you've been with families and people as their doctor, as they've gotten a bad diagnosis or as they've you know, face some difficult news or passed away or whatever it is. And then would that be the the most poignant example in your life of being on the other side of it? And how did that shape your practice of medicine and your ambassadorship of Christ in the medical field? I think, um, well, first of all, uh, Jim was uh, about 22 years 22 years ago, he would have been about 40, or I mean, at that time, 26, I think. Um, he just developed an acute infection. He was well up until that time and uh, it looked like a typical gastroenteritis, but um, he developed a, really a severe immune response to that um, infection, inflammation, and uh, was... Uh, acutely ill for about 24 hours to 36 hours before he was placed on a ventilator. And then that was, uh, we never were able to communicate with him after that time where we talked to him, but um, he wasn't able to communicate with us. Um, And it was about, I think, total illness was about 10 days. I think he was on a ventilator for at least seven days. And uh, it was a, a very trying, difficult time. And really, there was not a lot of hope at that point. Um, he had had um, the veins, you know, he had intervascular coagulation, and in, so he had uh, uh, veins clotted off from the kidneys and the liver and basically organ failure, similar to what it sounds like with this infection mm. when it's severe. Mm. Um, and I think... Um, you know, you pray hard, but you also 
accept. And, you know, you look back and it's thankful for the time you had. Hmm. How did that mark your practice? I mean, did, did you have a different perspective after that? Or was it just kind of a, 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 a development of a perspective that you'd already had? Well, I think, you know, it's interesting to me in medicine, um, those things that you personally experience, all of a sudden, a lot of people come out of the woodwork that have experienced mm. the same thing. So one thing I found in my practice was I had, I thought I had fairly good family histories on folks, but I had folks coming out telling me about loss of a child that I never knew and I'd taken care of them for years. Mm. And so it, it kind of opened up a little ministry area that I hadn't um, expected exactly. And then living through it with other people who had a loved one on a ventilator and, um, you know, having compassion for what they were feeling and going through. And I think, you know, it, um, the, at that time, um, I think it gives you a little more, um, I'm not sure the term I want, I wanted to say credence. Um, people accept your compassion for them because they know you've experienced the same experience. Mm-hmm. Um, the The hard part right now is going to be your loved one is on a ventilator and you won't be able to be there with them. Mm. Yeah. They'll be there alone, but they're not alone. You know what? Right. That's one of the things that my buddy in Des Moines was talking about is difficult in the ICU. Is, is these people having to be in there by themselves. Mm. And that just makes another level of difficulty. Yeah. Um, so I want to follow this even a little further. Um, we're all going to die. Yeah. And doctors live with that all the time. And as a Christian doctor, you know, you're coming to help people eventually in your care. I'm sure you've had many people who've been your patients who eventually kind of age out. Yes. Just like, hopefully we all age out. I'd rather mm-hmm. age out than get hit by a bus. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> uh, and I want to age out, you know, as painlessly as possible. Um, but what is just, and, and I don't mean to put this in this conversation to scare people that they're going to die of the coronavirus. That's not, that, that's beside the point, but we're kind of going down this path in this conversation. What would you say to a patient, you know, to, as, as, or, or just to me? Just as we prepare for the fact that someday our bodies are going to give out, and uh, how, do, how do you even broach that conversation with people? Um, some people make it really easy for you. <laughs> hmm. um, you know, and, and those folks that you've known for a long time, it's much easier to talk about those kinds of things. I think, um, you know, from a faith perspective, um, you can offer hope. You know, you can offer or talk about. Um, the hope that they have, even though on this earth, um, you know, we aren't going to be here all of our lives and that we have a hope in Jesus that, you know, our life will uh, extend and um, we'll be able to be in heaven in eternity. Um, I think we hold on to life really hard. Um even when it seems like uh, we pretty well are understanding that that's uh, unreasonable. or And so 
I think that having those kinds of discussions and talking a little bit about our, you know, the length and days of our life, and I think, um, you know, there, there's some folks that accept that with joy, and sometimes it's a very difficult thing to, mm. to see and accept. Tim, you live with that. Mm-hmm. What's that like from your perspective? You know, it's it's different for different people, uh, like like the doctor saying. And when you're there with someone who is at peace, and I, as a matter of fact, I just uh, read from a friend of mine who was there with his dad, and told his dad as he was, you know, unconscious, not responding. He told his dad, Dad, it's okay. You know, we'll take care of the family. You can rest. And within the hour after he said that, his his dad passed. And, you know, the doctor's mentioning that hope. And it's a living hope, the scripture says, that the power of Christ can put in a heart. And it's why I'm in the ministry yet today, because I believe that is the hope that if people have it, changes their whole eternity. Mm-hmm. And to watch people, you know, obviously in a retirement community, we have that experience nearly every week. It is 100% going to happen to everyone. And Jesus simply said, you must be ready. And I was reading an article to my uh, wife this morning sent it to her on her phone then about it was something about a, a ritual in Sweden the Swedish death cleaning and it's about preparing for your death and doing some things in advance embracing that it's coming and I believe after working in a retirement community the last five years we're afraid of the topic we don't discuss the topic much as a culture like uh, the doc says, there are, we strongly fight against it. But in the end, everyone has to surrender. And I don't remember which, I think it might have been Spurgeon who said, I've made a decision to talk and think frequently about my passing. And working in a retirement community has changed me deeply regarding that topic. To embrace the fact that it's going to happen. Why not start preparing now? And in doing that, somehow my own spiritual life has come alive more and more. Mm. And I'm thankful for that mm-hmm. because it has me more excited about the unseen world. And that's what's coming next for all of us. We'll leave behind the seen world and we'll step into the unseen world. Mm-hmm. And I think the Holy Spirit can help us prepare for that and be excited about it. And we want to encourage each other in that. Amen. I, I've got a sermon that I prepared a few years ago called The Precious Gift of Death, which oh. sounds terrible. Um, but I, I did a lot of... Francis Chan has some really good stuff about this, and there's some other things that I researched. But from a theological perspective, I mean, when you understand sin yes, and when you understand our bondage to decay that the Bible talks about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God was so gracious in letting us die. Mm-hmm. 
because can you imagine? I, I remember watching a video of like some lady that turned 113 years old or 107 or something. She was in some nursing home, you know, on the Today Show or something. And and they're like, so I mean, is this great or what? And she's like, no, this is horrible. <laughs> you know, like I wanted to be gone a long time from now. Now I'm not encouraging anybody you know, to unnaturally uh, end their life, obviously. But but there is a very gracious, like the soft, compassionate mm-hmm. love of God mm-hmm. in allowing us to leave this broken, fallen world yes. and spend eternity, like you said, in the mm-hmm. unseen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just wonder if when we get to the other side, if we'll have any recollection of what happened here and how stupid we will think it was for us to cling so much yeah. to what mm. this is. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's kind of an interesting part of being in practice for a long time is that you follow people through their whole life. And, um, or not, but you started taking care of people in midlife and then you follow them through. But, um, the one thing that I always found interesting was as we gradually lose more and more of our abilities, that thought that um, this is not um, someplace I want to hold on to. And mm-hmm. for those people of faith, mm-hmm. they become anxious to move on. Move on. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it's really interesting. And um, I think uh, it's almost refreshing sometimes. Mm-hmm. To, Had a woman who's getting older, maybe one of the most comfortable with death people who I've ever met, very solid believer and excited to to move on to heaven. Um, but she said, Matt, you know, growing old is a series of letting go. It, and it starts with my body starts to not function the way that it's supposed to, so you're letting that go. Uh, you let go of your driver's license. You let go of some of the independence and the freedom that you used to have. You let go of a spouse that passes away. Uh, you, you like, and, and finally, after all this letting go, letting go of life just seems like a better deal than it did before this succession of letting go started. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. I thought that was really wise. Mm-hmm. But it is kind of interesting. We still fight hard to prevent that mm-hmm. you know i mean it's well i mean i think that's a totally appropriate thing like trying to keep this virus out or trying to keep people safe right I mean, that's the appropriate thing to do um so i don't want anybody to think that we're no right <laughs> and it's a it's a real issue i've thought about a lot in scripture choose life mm-hmm. you know the scripture is i came that you might have life and have it to the full and we, we want to fight for that. At the same time, there is the great hope of what's after this life. And it is a unique sort of balance beam to be on. Yeah. And the, it is hard to, hard to know how to, how to talk about that with people. One of the many blessings, I think there's a lot of blessings from this coronavirus thing. But one of them might be that it's just forcing people I think maybe in America in the 21st century, we might be the most averse to talking about death mm-hmm. of anyone. It's, it's, yeah. it's not around us. We can distance ourselves from it with mm-hmm. the conveniences and the wealth that we have, and those aren't bad things. 
It's just the reality. Uh, and so we are forced to think about and talk mm-hmm. about this mm-hmm. in a way that, like Spurgeon said, it, it brings about, or that you said, brings about some refreshment mm-hmm. of your soul mm-hmm. when you kind of address that. Yeah, and I think when, when you, when you, the more you work through that issue, the freer you are to live. Mm-hmm. Because even the scripture says the fear of death holds many captive. And it does something to us, even if we're not aware of it. Mm-hmm. So to, to plow through and embrace it, that it's coming and really work your theology around it and keep doing that, it sets you free to live mm-hmm. more. And, you know, you'd hope some of that would come out of this. Yeah. Homer Larson was the radio preacher for Christian Crusaders for 50 years. And uh, as I got to know him better, he loved preaching funeral sermons more than anything else. And one of the reasons, well, there are a couple of reasons, people come who are never around the proclamation of the gospel, family members, friends who aren't churchgoers. And then the other reason I think is just because right there in the, in the box in the front of the church is a body that's dead Mm. and people are having to face their own mortality, Mm -hmm. even if for just a little bit. And there's an openness that's created by that to the gospel. Mm -hmm. And Homer loved preaching into that Mm -hmm. and did such a good job of it. Anything else? Oh, one other thing, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, you know how uh, you constantly hear about um, just praising the caregivers for all that they're doing. And yeah. I, I think the docs and the, and the nurses and aides, and I mean, you could go down a whole list. I mean, they do a phenomenal job and they're hanging in there and they're, they're really doing what they can. I just want people to think a little bit about those providing care in the nursing home. They... They come in, the caregivers do a phenomenal job, and it's, I think it's going to be equally a, mm-hmm. uh, more of a challenge as this goes forward. And so people can certainly be in prayer for those folks that every day mm-hmm. come and, and serve uh, and great. love. You know, they do a great job. Yeah. As I've been listening to this, here's how I want to close. Um, you mentioned praying, you know, God's protection over the facility and the world caregivers like you just did. I'm going to have you say a prayer for those folks and just specifically related to the virus Okay. as a doctor. I think that'd be cool for people to hear. And, and, and you can even just by your example, teach us how to pray about this. And then Tim, why don't you wrap up by just saying a prayer for him and listeners, whatever the Lord mm-hmm. leads. You bet. Okay. Oh dear heavenly father, we just thank you so much for being with us and in us and for your spirit that's in us. Father, we just think about all those people that are um, infected with the coronavirus around the world, and I just pray for them and pray for their souls and pray for healing. Um, Pray for those that are working hard to develop a vaccine, to develop treatments that will be um, beneficial, that uh, just will um, relieve the suffering of this virus. I think about all of those who um, give so much of their life to caring for others, to uh, being there, trying to do whatever they can do to uh, serve folks, to uh, keep them alive, Mm -hmm. to uh, do what they can to heal them. I think about their families and what they're giving up with uh, those caregivers being gone for hours and hours and um, what a, a difficult time and. Uh, I think about 
those individuals that are caring for our loved ones in nursing homes and mm-hmm. nursing homes you know, are uh, it's a very difficult job and uh, we think about um, what they're sacrificing just uh, providing the care for our loved ones I pray that you would keep them safe we need them we need their mm-hmm. help and we just pray that you'd keep them free of the virus and uh, all of the the docs and uh, nurses and caregivers and it extends into the, the police and firefighters, those that are providing the services that we need and the protection that we need, Lord. We just ask that you be with them in a special way and um, that they would feel your presence with them, Lord. Mm-hmm. Heavenly Father, I echo those prayers and thank you for your constant presence with us in life. We've talked about how we all feel vulnerable through this time. And I pray that you would use that time of vulnerability to draw people to yourself. That this would be a time where, with that vulnerability, a sense of humility would come into our hearts and an understanding of how fragile this life really is and, and how you care deeply and you're drawing people to come to you and in that sense your word says you've been patient with the world not wanting any to perish but all to come to repentance and a knowledge of your son and so please work that through this time and then I echo the prayers of uh, Dr. Frank Hauser here thank you for his willingness to come in and share and talk for his leadership in the community here and as he prayed for so many others who are leading and feel the heaviness of making decisions environments in environments like the Western home communities. Give them wisdom, give them guidance, give them direction, give them strength. And then do help us defeat this mm-hmm. virus. Uh, help us find ways, as the doctor prayed, to deal with it, to treat it, and then ways to fight against it in the days ahead. We know that you uh, have given us the offer of life So help us fight for life in that way, also with the hope of eternal life. Thank you for this, Lord. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. And if anyone's wondering what Dr. Frank Hauser looks like, I've been looking across my desk at him with these headphones on. It's like a thinner version of Brent Musburger, the uh, football commentator. I'm sitting here the whole time going, that's Brent Musburger. He's, he's one of my all-time favorites. Hey, uh, if, if you enjoyed this podcast, we've got others available. Uh, great interview with Ron Gruber, former gangster, murderer, prisoner, uh, who's turned disciple maker for Christ, real inspiring interview there. We've got an interview with Mike and T- Ike and Tim Butker, uh, which I mentioned before about Ike's, uh, the Lord's hand on Ike's journey to the Hawkeyes and to the Buffalo Bills. And then last week we released a great interview with Kim Hansen and Kim Albertson and Christina McBurney, two young ladies who have struggled with singleness. And uh, that's going to apply to anybody who struggles with unmet expectations. And so check those out along with our daily dose devotions, which are available right here at the CC Podcast. Thanks for listening.